The word polarize, one of the definitions for the word polarize means to break people up into opposing factions or groupings. So, so in, other way, in other words, uh, it's an attempt to, to, to separate groups or, or people into different factions or groupings. Oftentimes this is done based on beliefs or culture or viewpoints on certain issues. Uh, following Charlottesville, I was listening to C-SPAN, which is riveting radio, if any of you want to listen to some riveting radio. But I was listening to C-SPAN, and one commentator on there was discussing that, 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 that this is a polarizing issue. And one of the reasons why it is a polarizing issue is because there's people that legitimately want to keep the statues up for just heritage and historical means. They want to they keep some of those statues up. And yet, some people are saying that if, if they have that viewpoint, then they are automatically a racist. And this commentator was discussing this, that, that, that people that are, have this view are being labeled as racist. And he was saying this makes it a, a polarizing issue because there are some people that are not racist. They just have a specific different view. This is a polarizing issue. Some of you may remember uh, a gentleman by the name of Barack Obama. Anyone remember that name? Uh, Barack Obama uh, when in 2004, he was running to be the senator of the state of Illinois, and he was running against a gentleman by the name of Alan Keyes. And Alan Keyes uh, made a statement that caught the headlines of people at that time. He said, and I quote directly, Jesus Christ would never vote for Barack Obama. He said the reason for this, hopefully you, you don't laugh in agreement, but uh, he said the reason for this uh, since I say that since we don't know who Jesus would vote for and we should never probably speak for Jesus on that. Uh, I say this, or, or, the reason he said this was he then followed it up by saying that, that Jesus would not vote for someone who's not a Christian even though Barack Obama claims to be a Christian. He could not be a Christian with the views that he holds. That he could not actually be a follower of Jesus with the views that he holds. This statement was intended, the purpose of this statement was a political move in order to polarize people, to separate them out into various groupings. He wanted people to be able to look at the situation and say, if you're a true Christian and if you want to be like Jesus, then you will not vote for Barack Obama. That was basically what he's trying to do. Polarize the groups. See the worst in this person so that you will not associate with them. That's what polarizing is really. It is seeing the worst in someone oftentimes and assessing them based on, a, on a, some aspect and saying, I am not part of that group, they are in that group. With this idea in mind of polarization, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 26. We're in Genesis chapter 26 today. I want to let you know that next Sabbath, uh, Pastor Gaspar Colon will be uh, preaching, and the following Sabbath, Pastor Andrea Jacobsons will be preaching, and they'll both be preaching from Genesis. And, and soon after that, we're going to be taking a little short pause from the book of Genesis, because we're going to do a series uh, in anticipation of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, some of you, hopefully, you know your Christian history, and you know that this year marks the 500th anniversary of, the Reform of when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door at Wittenberg, uh, there in Germany. And so uh, we're going to do a, a series, a five-part series on the soles 
of the Reformation. And so we invite you to, to be a part of that. And also I wanna let all of you know if there's any of you that, that participate in, in Halloween. I know it's not everybody, but there are a few. If any of you participate in Halloween, October 31st is actually the anniversary every year of when Martin Luther nailed his, um, his theses to the door. So rather than saying Happy Halloween, anyone, since it's not really a happy Halloween, say happy Reformation Day. And also, if you decide to dress up your kids, this year it is required that all of your kids are a Reformation character. So you can be uh, Zwingli or Calvin or, 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 uh, or, or Huss or, or Martin Luther. Um, you know, and you can even be Ellen White because we continued on the Reformation. So, uh, so go ahead. But, but just so you know, I, I hope to see in neighborhoods around this area, little refor reformers all over the place. But in D Genesis chapter 26, we're beginning in verse 6 today. And the Bible tells us that Isaac settled in Gerar. And we're talking about this idea of polarization Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking, he thought, in his brain, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Let us first acknowledge Isaac's sin here. Isaac, in this moment, is a liar. He's not even as, as, as a gray area liar as his dad. His dad, at least, was half uh, the half-brother of Sarah. In this case, Isaac had no brotherly or sisterly relationship to Rebecca. He just straight up lied. Let us also acknowledge that, as I just said, that he is replicating the sins of his own dad, Abraham. Abraham, actually, we know, did this twice. And as I thought about that and as I read this story and I thought about that as I was writing this sermon, I, it, it made me mindful of the fact that dads, let us remember something, that oftentimes our kids see what we do and they repeat what we do, and our characteristics are repeated. I know that we as parents, myself and Christina, have said this, and I'm sure that maybe some of you as well have done this, in which you see your kid doing something, and you say, I don't understand how on earth my child could do that. Next time you say that, just pause for a few minutes, think about your own life, and then go, uh-huh, okay, now I understand why and how they could do that. But, but that is not what we're looking at today. The question I wanna ask is why did he lie? Why did Isaac lie? Well, the Bible says that, that he lied because he was afraid. And he was afraid because he was thinking something. What was he thinking? He was thinking that these individuals would, would do something bad. He looked at these individuals and he, and he assessed something about them. Could I, could I put forth the, the perspective that Isaac lied because he was afraid and he was afraid because he had pol a polarized view of these people that he was living amongst. He assumed, before he knew any different, he assumed the worst about them. He assumed the worst of each and every one of them, that, that if they knew this fact, that they would surely do this wrong. And so he said, I'm going to, to lie to avoid this situation. The sad thing is that once this view was in his head, once this view was in his mind, it remained there without consideration. 
It remained there without consideration. This is one of the dangers of, of polarizing someone or, or labeling someone or, or putting someone in a box and, and thinking the worst of them. Is that, that Sometimes when we do that, we have maybe one interaction with them or we, we hear one story about a person or we, we observe one thing on the news. We, we put someone in a box and we assume that is what completely defines them. And we leave them there far too often without any reconsideration of who they are or what they may be about in other aspects of things. That's polarizing. They're this, I'm not, therefore they're all bad, they're all this. The Bible tells us there that, 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 that really Isaac put this negative thought about these people in his brain and he let it remain there without any reconsideration even though there was evidence to the contrary. The Bible tells us in verse Eight of chapter 26, it begins with the following phrase. It says, when he, that's Isaac, when Isaac had been there a long time. In other words, when he had been living there for a long time in that place. Uh, all the commentaries I read said that, said that this statement is in there to indicate that Isaac held this view in spite the fact that there was a significant amount of time and thus a significant amount of evidence to show him the contrary. He said, these people are evil. They're going to do this if I tell them this truth. He held that view in their mind about these people. The Bible says that he lived in that place for a long time. And over that course of that long time, no one did anything to him. But also what, what, we, what we understand from this text is no one did anything to his wife either, even though they thought that she was his sister. No one harassed her. No one, no one tried to take her to be their wife. They respected who she was in this time. Yet he held on to this view, assuming the worst about these individuals. The story continues. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Now the laughing that is being spoken of here was the type of laughing only done between a husband and a wife. I guess the translators of the Bible wanted to make sure that we kept it PG for, for later readers. But, but the king looked out and he sees them laughing together and he realizes these two aren't brother and sister. And so he goes to them and he says to them, Isaac, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say that she is my sister? And Isaac Cops to, he, he admits to his prejudice. He admits to his judgment. He admits to his assessment, his unfair assessment of the people. He says, because I thought, lest I die because of her. He basically is saying to this king, look, I came here, I was amongst you, and I assumed that you all were so bad that if I told you this, you would kill me. This is who I thought you were. I put you in this box and I've left you there. And all this time has gone by, but I've kept you in that box. Abimelech, I, I, I appreciate, doesn't let him off the hook, though. Here, listen to what Abimelech says. He says, what is this that you have done to us? One of our people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. You would have brought guilt upon us. Here's the thing. Isaac I would, I would dare say, and I think we could all agree, Isaac probably believes that it is wrong for a person to sleep with another man's wife, 
for a, or the vice versa, for a, a wife to sleep with another man's husband. This is what Isaac believed. He had this belief. He assumed that this belief was not also held by these people. But the king right here says, if you had done this thing to us, guilt would have fallen upon us. In other words, the, the king is saying, I believe the same thing you believe. The guilt that you think that would, would, would come upon you if you did this, I believe that guilt would come upon me as well, or our people as well. He has the same ethical view. Isaac says, you know what, these are my ethics, and I have these high ethics, but I don't think these people have these high ethics, and so I'm going to lie about this situation. This text actually shows us that the ethics of the king and even some of these people was higher in some ways in contrast than Isaac. Isaac's actually the one who shows the poor ethical decision within this story. Why? Because Isaac saw the worst in Abimelech and his people. That led not only to a lie, but I also believe that that led to a damage of his witness. We know if, in just a few verses later, uh, as, as Isaac grows more and more wealthy, the people do not trust him. Could their lack of trust have been because of this lie that he told, but the people do not trust him and they, they send him on his way because they say you're becoming too powerful and we can't really trust you to not cause maybe damage within our ranks. He damaged his witness as well. That is what happens, folks, when we label people and put them in a box or put them in a place and assume the worst about them. We not only lead our own selves into sin sometimes through these actions, but we also, in turn, damage our witness. We, in turn, damage our witness. Think about the, the story in the New Testament. I, I think it's a, it's a kind of an amusing story, the way it all plays out. But the disciples come to Jesus all excited, right? They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, there were some people casting out demons in your name, and we told them to shut it down, not to do it anymore. Well, why did you do this? Well, because they're not one of us. They're part of that group. They're not part of this group. And since they're not part of us, then surely that can't be okay what they are doing, right? Jesus says, what are you, what are you thinking? In another, uh, in a similar story, in a similar story, I love how the disciples come to Jesus and they tell Jesus that there's these people that are doing something good and they say, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to call fire down upon their head and destroy them? And Jesus is like, what, why? Because they're not one of us. They're not one of us. These, these guys are saying, we wanna natively impact the witness of the kingdom of God because this group is not part of us. Because it's not part of who we are. When we put people in a box, we begin to damage the name of God and damage our witness for the name of God. I think, folks, when I read this story and I thought about what Isaac did and how he presumed a specific viewpoint about a specific people, he assumed that, 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 that they would automatically have a lower ethical standard than, than he did. When I, when, I, when I thought about this story, I thought about how we as Christians, and, and if I can speak specifically to my own people, my own movement, faith group, the Seventh-day Adventist movement, that we can be especially susceptible to this. 
we can be especially susceptible to this. When we think about things that, 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 that I believe, that we have specific truths that God has given us to us in the last days. And we can take those truths and we can sometimes put those truths in a box and say, okay, well, we have these truths and this group over here doesn't have these truths. Therefore, that means this group over here isn't quite as good as us over here that has these truths. And we can look out and we can look at various groups of people and we can, we can label them and say, well, we have this and they don't. Some of you may remember even a few years ago, there was an appeal from some within the church that we should not read any books that were outside of Adventism. In other words, we can only learn from us. We can't really actually learn maybe from other people. I think partly what they were saying is they wanted to guard us from, from potential errors, but in doing so, it further establishes the idea that we're not only different, but we're better over here than those folk over there. It's a dangerous worldview to have. And such ideas and such thoughts begin to polarize us from other groups as not being able, that, 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 that they're not able to bless us. Only we are able to bless them. We are different. We have a different message. We should all recognize that and we should affirm those things. But different doesn't mean better. On your connection card today, one of the next steps is memorize Romans chapter 2 and verse 11. Romans chapter 2 and verse 11. And Romans chapter 2 and verse 11 says that God is no respecter of what? Of persons. God is no respecter of persons. In other words, when God looks at somebody, he looks at us all the same he looks at us all the same and loves us with the same love and wants to bless us in the same way. The scripture that Eckhart read, uh, Dr. Mueller read this morning uh, for us in which it says that, that the Lord causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. It, it's speaking of God's benevolence that, that even those that oppose him, God is looking for opportunity to bless them and to do good to them. Now, if we polarize people and we say, well, you're in this box over here and you're not like me and I'm in this box over here, then are we going to likely be mindful of saying, how can I bless that person over there? You see, Jesus looks at us all the same and so he's able to, he's able to look at us all with the same love and compassion and grace and mercy and say, you know what? I love that person the same as I love that person. And even though this person opposes me, and that person doesn't, I wanna bless this person too because I see them with the same love. Me over here, you know, that person, they got some crazy views. They got some crazy ideas. And even in fact, not only do they have crazy ideas, but look at some of the decisions they're making. All the sin in their life, all the destruction in their life, we gotta make sure we keep them away. We start to think, not, not bless them, but, but keep them away. We do this in a number of areas. On your connection card today, there's, there's some steps there and, and maybe there's relationships where you see that you've done this. You polarize certain people and, 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 and maybe you need to make some steps and you can turn in those, those, those connection cards at the end, some steps to repair some of those relationships. But, but I want us to think about some of this and I want us to think about this 
how we should be different, but that doesn't make us better. And, and think about that in light of some of these quotes that I read this week from the writings of Mrs. White. Listen to for what she said. Let not those who write in our papers make unkind thrusts and illusions that will certainly do harm and that will hedge up the way and hinder us from doing the work that we should do in order to reach all classes. Testimonies, volume nine. Let not those who write. Now, in our modern day, we could probably say, rather than just let not those who write in our papers, but we could also say, let not those who write blogs write anything that would, that would certainly do harm to another, she uses the word unkind thrust towards another person. Let us not write any unkind thrust. Maybe we could go from blogs, we could say, let those who write on Facebook not write any unkind thrusts on Facebook or, or Twitter. Let, let those who write on Twitter not let, write any unkind thrusts on Twitter or, or, or those who post something on Instagram. May, let them not post anything that is unkind towards another on Instagram that would oppose us. And, and, and there's LinkedIn out there. I don't know if anyone says anything mean on LinkedIn. I think you're safe in LinkedIn. You might be safe there. Go get a job there, and no one's mean in LinkedIn, I don't think. But, but, but there's all these things. We could, we could think about this. Or what about this one? Decided proclamations are to be made. I like to make decided proclamations. My wife says I'm very dogmatic about all things, you know, uh, Mark was talking about mayonnaise up here, and I love mayonnaise. I personally like mayonnaise, but mayonnaise is not the best condiment, and please don't throw stones at me, but the best condiment is mustard. <laughs> and I am absolute in that, and I see someone shaking, I see you shaking your head out there, Ray, and uh, you know, um, you're wrong and I'm right. I make decided proclamations <laughs> about things But we should be mindful about those proclamations. She says, but in regard to this line of work, I am instructed to say to our people, be guarded in bearing the message. Make no personal thrusts at other churches. Man, when I read that, I thought about some of our evangelistic methods and, and maybe the, even the way we start evangelism or approach evangelism and some of these things. Be guarded in bearing the message. Make no personal thrusts at other churches. We definitely have beliefs we need to stand on and say, this is an absolute, but we need to be mindful, mindful. You can say that without attacking another institution. Do you know that all of our teachings, here's what I believe with all my heart, that, that all of our foundational teachings you can teach straight from the scripture, and you don't have to get someone else and be mean to someone else in order to prove that from the scriptures, all right? We don't have to do that. Listen to this one. Those who have had great privileges and opportunities and who have failed to improve their physical, mental, and moral powers, but who have lived to please themselves, have refused to bear their responsibility and are in greater danger and in greater condemnation before God. In other words, what we just read about Isaac. Isaac, for, for what he did, was in greater danger and greater condemnation before God because he knew better, yet he still lied. They are in greater danger and greater condemnation before God than those who are in error upon doctrinal points, yet who seek to live to do good to others. And she says this, do not censure them, do not condemn them. So in other words, if someone believes things differently than us and views things differently than us and, and even has some doctrinal error that we would say is foundationally different than us, we should not censure them 
or condemn them. Condemn them. Why? She says, if they're still seeking to do good to others, they are in less danger than those of us that know better and are not seeking to do good. Can I encourage us to take this counsel, to think about it in all aspects of our lives, with the way we interact with other pe- people of other faiths, with the way we interact in our, in our own lives, and in the way we interact about politics, and the way we view things. You, you view things one th- way, I may view things another way, but, 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 but God looks at us and sees someone he loves. And someone he wants to bless. In our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our, actually even in our own church, because this isn't just about other churches. You know, again, back to this illustration, this isn't in my notes, but this is a thought in my head. Back to Mark's illustration about the mayonnaise. I want to know if him and Joy do not like mayonnaise, then who ate two-thirds of that mayonnaise is what I want to know. Because that's a lot of mayonnaise that, that are gone. And, and Mark's secret about how you split the pizza isn't really a secret because we all do that to our spouses. I know that's true. But, but the, the illustration is funny. It's funny only to a point because, because he says it's a simple thing and it gets much more complicated. But do you know that I've actually been in places where people have confronted people? In fact, I just admitted to you all that I eat mustard, so I'm not condemning anybody on eating mustard. But, you know, there's a statement about mustard and vinegar in the writings of Mrs. White, and, and, and there's people that have actually been in places where people will not allow mustard in their church, and they will approach people and say, get that out of here. How dare you bring that into our church or the Southern cafeteria as well? Um, sorry, Southern. I got scolded because I praised them two weeks ago, and someone said, what about, C- or, uh, man, I can never get over that, C-U-C, A-W-A-U. WAU, they let mustard in there. They're, they're obviously superior. No, I'm just kidding. But, but the, the, there is this, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's not, it's not important for us to think about these things, but, but to really like label someone and say, you're not as much Adventist as I am because you eat mustard or because you wear a wedding ring or because you wear, you're not as much as I am. It's polarizing and we, we not only do it on a larger scale with the world, but we do it with one another as well. Isaac walks into a room and he says, these people are less than me, therefore they're gonna do wrong. And I'm gonna put them in that box. And for years he existed in that area with that thought in his brain, even though there was evidence to the contrary, until one day God used this heathen to call him on his sin to call him in his heir. Can I encourage us to take this counsel, to be mindful of the instruction from our prophet that, that, that we not censure others, that we do not condemn them, that we do not make unnecessary thrusts of unkindness that would surely put up a hedge and damage the witness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us show the great benevolence of our God, who still though people oppose him, looks for opportunities to bless them in every way. There's a prayer that's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, though no one can fully affirm that. But it says this, and I'll end with this and then I'll sit down. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace, 
Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is discord, let me sow union. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is error, let me sow truth. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Help me not to seek to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to loved. For it is in giving that we receive It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Lord Jesus, I pray that we will be a people that will seek to sow unity in this world of discord, that we will be a people that will seek to find commonalities in this world of polarization. And may it be done all so that your name may be better known and better loved. We pray, amen.